Well, good morning again. It's good to see all of you. It's, uh, you know, it's that time of year that's one of my favorites. It's, it's Christmas, right? It's a, it's a season of celebration, and, and, and why shouldn't it be? There's all the Christmas musics when you walk through the malls, and when you're walking through the streets, they're all decorated with Christmas lights. And, of course, there's always the season favorites of food at all the celebrations and parties that, that, that uh, take place this, this month. And so there are three weeks of celebration that begins um, in December, and it's amazing just this time of year just to, to um, anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what it's supposed to be, that this is a time of year where we can celebrate. Now, some of my favorite things during this season are are some of the traditional classic Christmas television shows that, that come every year. And one of my favorites is A Charlie Brown Christmas. Now, all of you know who this is, right? This is Charlie Brown. And he's known as the lovable loser. Kind of an interesting nickname for Charlie. And he's a cartoon character created by Charles Schultz. And uh, the program, uh, um, A Charlie Brown Christmas, was uh, created in about 1965. So that's a really old program, but it gets played every year now. And it's one of my, my favorites. And in this show, it begins with Charlie Brown feeling depressed. And so in spite of all the Christmas lights, the Christmas music, and all the gift-giving, Charlie, Charlie Brown feels depressed, and he can't figure out why. And so through the program... He tries to figure out what is the true meaning of Christmas. So how are you feeling during this holiday season, during this supposedly very joyous time of year? How are you feeling? And for Christmas, sometimes this season can be a very difficult one where everyone else is celebrating, but life has been hard. There are some struggles, some disappointments. And so this season can be a very difficult one for many. So how are you? Are you lacking joy? Are you feeling burdened or burnt out? Maybe you're feeling depressed, just like Charlie Brown. So maybe it's at work. You're feeling like you're spinning your wheels. There's unreasonable deadlines. There are no end in sight. Maybe you are a parent of young children and everybody's sick in in the family and they're not sleeping through the night and you're having to stay up with them and you know in a few hours you have to get up to go to work or maybe it's ministry maybe it's you've been serving you've been working hard giving all your effort a lot of time and resources but you're not seeing any fruitfulness It just doesn't seem to be any good results. Matter of fact, maybe the only things you're experiencing is one failure after another failure in your ministry. So this is a time of year that we're supposed to be celebrating, but it can be a time where it's very difficult. And this is supposed to be the season of joy and glad tidings for all. But sometimes, seriously, That's not the case that many of us are experiencing. Maybe you've lost a loved one. 
and certain memories are triggered by this season that causes you to, to, for, to miss them even more. The Christian life is supposed to be full of joy and peace, and that is what Jesus promises, promises us. Remember, he said these things, the peace I leave with you is the one that the world does not totally understand and cannot give to you. The Christian life is to be full of joy, but often I believe a lot of us are not experiencing that. And, and so why is this important? Why would there be such a concern if we're not feeling joy and peace in our lives? Well, for one, I believe it's, it would be spiritually unhealthy. If you're going through life feeling down and not experiencing joy and peace, and, and there are seasons where you can go up and down about this, but if you're experiencing it, it's something I think we all would need to seriously address it in ourselves. Because to leave it alone, feeling no joy or peace in your Christian faith, in your Christian life, will do very long-term damage to your soul. And there's a second thing that's at stake here. If, if we don't feel joy and peace in our lives it's actually a bad, a bad witness for God. That God intends us to have joy and peace with relationship with him, but if we're not experiencing it, it actually has a consequence to the glory of God and to his name. It's because people are looking at us, people who are far from the faith, who are unchurched, who are not in the family of God, And if they see in us no joy and no peace, that would be very detrimental to the gospel. A good friend of mine returned from the mission field where he spent six years uh, sharing the gospel in Japan. And one observation he, he took back was that he noticed a lot of so-called Christians, even pastors and missionaries, out in the mission field, oftentimes do not have any joy and peace in their life. And when they're trying to share the gospel with people who are unchurched, and they don't see any peace and joy in their life, in the Christian, so-called Christian's life, it isn't very attractive. They'll say, your life is just as miserable as my life, so why should I follow that kind of God? That's what's at stake here, folks, that we need to dive deep into things that cause us not to feel joy or peace and to rectify that because it it does damage to ourselves, but also does damage to the witness of God. Joy comes when we have hope for the future. And that hope comes from a faith that is here and now. Joy, hope, and faith are linked. They're interconnected. And Advent is a time where Christians all over the world are preparing themselves for the anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ. And with Jesus coming, he brings a message of peace and joy. And so today is the first Sunday of Advent. And this is a day where we begin to prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want us to look 
at a particular story about one person in particular, but he and his wife. Uh, it's a part of the Christmas story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And Zachariah and Elizabeth had a great dream, a great hope for their family. But this story seems to imply that they may have lost this dream and may have lost some hope. And I want us to look into this story to gain some insight as to how Zechariah dealt with this. And maybe these are some principles that we can adapt and apply to our own lives as to how we can address this issue of when we're not feeling any joy or feeling any hope. So if you want to go into your Bibles, let's turn to Zechariah, to look at Zechariah in Luke 1, and we're going to start with verses 5 to 25. I'm going to read that for you now. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And I'm going to move down to verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And I will move to verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and he realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked down on me to take away my reproach among people. The word of the Lord. So, you know, we all have dreams, right? We all have hopes. But sometimes some of these dreams don't ever happen. They kind of die. And when these hopes and these dreams die, we often get discouraged, we get depressed. We just don't want to live anymore. Do you remember when you were a child? Uh, or when Christmas is approaching and you're just dreaming of all kinds of gifts that you can get. You, you're, uh, I know when my kids were young, I remember those uh, Target ads. They would take out, they always have one for the season and they have all the pictures of all the different gifts or toys and then they would kind of subtly or not so subtly start tearing out the ones that they want or 
circling it and then leaving it in places for my wife and I to see. But that's typical of, of, of Christmas, that, that, that joy of, of just dreaming of what you can what you're going to unwrap on Christmas Day. And then as a child, when you run on Christmas morning to the tree and, and grab your gifts, you open each one and you try to figure out whether you were naughty or nice, right? If there's a piece of clothing, a lot of times that's tossed into the corner and then they go running for the other gift. But that's what it means to have that kind of childlike attitude of wanting to dream, and, and, and imagine what can, can be. Uh, a friend of mine, and I think I have a picture of, of him, what he opened. He, he, he isn't a really a fashion per kind of person, so his family always encourages him to go buy stuff that looks, looks nice. And so he, he doesn't like to go shopping, but he did attempt it, and he went out and bought himself a nice pair of uh, shoes and so he bought them and, and he bought them about a f- you know a year ago and then only recently he he took out the, the box of shoes and he put them on and then he realized he had two left shoes <laughs> and so he had great anticipation as to this great pair of shoes that he had bought but when he opened the box, he had two left shoes. Dreams went to the wayside. <laughs> so some of you, are you going through life like you have two left feet? Sometimes that's what our lives can be. And when you go through those kinds of experiences, it often leads to no joy. And so what do you do? Well, the first thing I see from this passage in, in Luke 1, the first thing I, I would encourage you to do is to pray and not stop praying. To keep hope alive begins first with prayer. And, and that's vital here. It's, it's, it's almost the um, bloodline of a Christian faith is to pray. It's actually the, one of the, the significant things in our relationship with God that we get to talk to him. And that's prayer. And that's powerful. I mean, just imagine, that's what we get to do. And the main thing here is to realize that God answers prayer. And that, is that something that, that you all believe in? that God will answer your prayer? Because there are, there, I, I imagine, I talk to people, and some people go through the motion of praying just thinking it's some sort of ritual or tradition that Christians do, but there's actually power in it. That God, the supernatural being, the creator of all things, does answer our prayer. It does, at least answers my prayer. Um, we were at a, um, the men's ministry had an event. Uh, it was a Cal football game, and we were playing against Washington. And it didn't look good for Cal. And, and, and there was a moment, one of uh, uh, 
my friends there was uh, they're yelling and screaming and cheering on and I'm not really that kind of person I'm not that kind of excitable person at sporting events so he my friend was trying to encourage me to jump up and down and uh, just like him and he he said Pastor Calvin, if you would just jump up and say, go Bears, we'll win. <laughs> and so, so I scratched my head, and, and I was thinking, I, I looked at him, and seriously, I, I, I said, he's actually here, so you can figure out who that is. I said, I have something better than jumping up and down. I have the power of prayer. So silently, I prayed. I said, dear God, you know, um, I'm going to put you on the spot because I just said that I have the power of prayer. I am praying. Uh, I, uh, the Cal defense needs to get a, a stop here. Actually, better yet, they need to take a turnover and then run it in for a touchdown. Just after I prayed that, that happened. <laughs> it happened. And we did win the game. See? So, so I'm just demonstrating with that example that prayer is powerful and that God hears us. Now, he doesn't necessarily hear everybody, but he, hear, he heard me. <laughs> this is a side tip. Um, I heard this from uh, Francis Chan and, and then actually from some other mentors. One of the things that you want to observe in a person who is walking a life with God and with Jesus it's not how much money they give or how creative they are or how worshipful they are. It's whether or not their prayers are answered. That's the kind of people you want to grow, mentor, and hang around with because that is amazing and powerful. And in, this, in this, this verse, this is the thing that, 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 that comes out to me about not stopping to pray. Don't stop praying because God's timing is not your timing. So sometimes when we pray, we get disappointed, we get impatient, we, we, we can't uh, wait any longer. We want instant results. Like my prayer at the Cal football game, that was pretty instant. But sometimes... Prayer doesn't work that way because God's timing is his timing, not ours. And we see this in, in the case of Zechariah. In verse 12, it says, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear f- fell upon him. But the angel sa- said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, the context is this is because you know, it's kind of like coming out of nowhere. But you have to realize that Zechariah and Elizabeth are elderly. They may be at least 60, maybe 70 or 80 years old. They're past childbearing years. And in that culture, having children is very important. It's a sign actually of a blessing from God. So not having any children seemed like a curse. And the scripture is clear that that Elizabeth and Zechariah did nothing really wrong. I'm not saying they're not sinless, but the, the scripture says they're righteous. That means they we had a good relationship with God. They were doing the right things in serving God. Zechariah is actually a priest. He's a, 
He's a person who helps the people worship. But there was one thing missing here, and that was having children. But Zechariah and Elizabeth apparently were faithfully praying. And maybe the first couple years, it was more fervent. Then subsequent years, not so fervent, but maybe more routine. But they prayed, and they continued to. And here, in their elderly years, God answers their prayer to their surprise and grants them a son. So the application from this, even if things seem hopeless to you, even if you're discouraged, if dreams don't seem to be happening, don't give up praying. Because you never know that that friend or relative that you've been praying for to find Jesus, it may take decades to find out if they will ever come to Jesus. Or maybe it's something you've been praying for in your ministry and you may never know until you meet Jesus in heaven that you will find out what actually happened. So never, never, ever give up praying. Now, I'm not saying the results are going to be what you can imagine. Just like when I asked for that interception at that Cal football game, it, it happened. I'm not saying it was coincidental, but it happened as I wanted. But when we pray, the results may not be what we want. But the application here is don't stop praying. And God will decide if it happens or not. So don't give up. Now, the next thing I want to talk about here is, you know, there are certain things in, in, in life that we experience that whether we see or we hear causes us to be speechless. Have you ever had that experience? Well, I want you to look at this video because this, this event caused me to be speechless. That's, that's our Caitlin in a onesie. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's really unbelievable. That was, <laughs> I don't know if Caitlin's here, but I apologize. Um, unbelief, sadly, is something that, that destroys hope. If you do not believe, it has a consequence. It destroys hope. Because if you're hoping in something, you better believe in that something. And Zechariah had a moment of unbelief. And there was a consequence. And apparently, 
God punishes Zechariah for his moment of unbelief. Text, the text tells us that Zechariah became speechless in his disbelief. And it's a moment of doubt in God's promise to him. And we see this in verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall, I, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So here, the, the angel comes, tells Zechariah that you're going to have a son. And sure, it is in his elderly years, and so in his mind, in his human mind, he says, this is impossible. This is not supposed to happen. Now, I have to admit here that Zechariah has guts, right? You have an angel of God telling you something, a message from God, you're going to have a child. And this isn't any ordinary angel. This is Gabriel. I mean, this is one of the the top generals of, of, of God's army of angels. And Gabriel's standing there and telling you this, and he says, this can't be. I mean, that takes, that takes guts. Because if, if an angel appeared before me and, and said, I have a message from God, I said, oh, I believe it, I believe it. But here, Zechariah says, how can this be? be? I, I need more proof. That, that, that takes a tremendous amount of of, of courage to say that but here God but there is a consequence and this is something for us to note is that God chooses to make Zachariah speechless in his disbelief and, and this is significant because metaphorically for us to realize Zechariah is, is, a, is a priest he's a worship leader he needs his voice to lead the people. And so his disbelief causes him to lose his voice, his real voice. But metaphorically for us, if we have any disbelief in ourselves about God, God essentially makes us ineffective in our ministry or our witness or our testimony if we have any unbelief in ourselves. So this is an important principle and lesson. Is that, yeah, sometimes we do doubt, but don't linger too long in the doubt because there are consequences. And this is something that is evidenced here that Zechariah experienced in his life, that he lost his effectiveness to be a voice of God in leading the people. So the second thing that keeps hope alive is don't stop believing God because God has not stopped believing in you. And there's another way to say it. Um, another way to say this is don't give up on God because God hasn't given up on you. Because even in the Zacharias story, he had a moment of doubt and unbelief where he challenged the message from the angel. But God gives him a chance and we'll see that more as we go through the story. But this brings to mind about, about having unbelief. Um, a sad story, one of uh, my ministry colleagues uh, had been serving the Lord for many years, and particularly in youth ministry, and uh, gave a lot of his time and his resources. And, and he came when he approaching maybe in his 40 40 years old, he hadn't found uh, uh, a life partner. 
And he was really discouraged and disappointed at God and not helping him find uh, someone he could to, to spend the rest of his life with. And in that discouragement, he was angry at God and didn't believe in him anymore and walked away from his faith. And that for me is really sad to, to, to see. But that's what happens in life when we experience our disappointments. Either we choose to walk away from the source of joy and peace or we can walk towards the source of joy and peace. And, you know, life is not going to go the way we want. I mean, we all have dreams, and some of those dreams come true, and some of them don't. That's reality. But there is one thing I know, is that when we go through those experiences, we want people, we want people to be with us, to walk with us during those experiences of disappointments, when we have, at a time, lost hope or joy. It's been about um, 12 years now, over 12 years now. Uh, I significantly remember this. Uh, it was a day in October when I went and... Uh, knocked on my daughter's bedroom door and she was in bed under the covers and it was time for her to get up to go to school. Now, my daughter, Christy, uh, has never been a morning person and it's always a struggle to get her up. Uh, but, but on that day 12 years ago, and there were signs of issues. We, we were wrestling with her. Uh, my wife and I, as we were parenting her through some critical years of her, of her life, that she was dealing with some depression and some perfectionism. And, um, and so that, that morning, she, under the cover, said, I don't want to go to school anymore. Now, as a parent, that is probably one of the most shocking things you could hear from your child. And, and it wasn't the first time she, she had shared this to us. As I said, it was a journey. But that morning, I felt that she really meant it because she didn't get up, and she said, I'm not going to school anymore. Now, she was only 14 at the time. So when a 14-year-old says that, you're thinking, okay, it can't be serious. And then at 14, you can't really quit school. I mean, actually, um, the law uh, doesn't allow you to a, a minor to quit school at 14. And so that began a journey where we, we worked with our daughter to, to try to help her through, through this season in her life. But what was important for me as a father was, one, to not stop praying for her uh, and for both of my children. That is actually something I do every day. I pray for my children every day. Um, and the main things I do is I pray for them, for God to be with them physically, emotionally, mentally, and especially spiritually, and uh, grant them his favor. That's kind of the way I pray for them at least every single day. And as for parents out there, something you should think about doing in your own lives with your own children 
even when they are young and even when they are older as adults. But that is the responsibility as parents to at least do that. And so don't stop praying. And so in that moment where it seemed like a crisis in our family, prayer is important. But the next thing that's important that, that, that God is demonstrating through the story of Zechariah here is that we don't want to give up on people. Right? As a parent, you will never give up on your child. You would believe in them. When people are down and out, they need encouragement, inspiration. And so that's where I told my daughter, even though she said she didn't want to go to school anymore, I said, I still believe in you. And I'll stand by you. And that's what parents, fathers should do. And that's what God does. God is there too. He will never abandon you. And even when your life seems, circumstances seems like you're losing hope, things don't look like they're going your way, dreams are being broken, God will not abandon you. He is there and he will never give up on you. God is like that prodigal son's father who is waiting with his arms open for his son to come back. That's the kind of God we have. And if you fast forward to today, my daughter going through what she went through, it was difficult in the teen years, but uh, today she's working on her PhD in genetics at Yale University. So things worked out fine. It was tough during her teenage years. She wasn't coming to church. She was not going to school. Now she leads her own Bible study. She serves in a ministry at a church. Um, she's part of a community group. So it's been a struggle for her, but never giving up hope. And as a parent, never uh, abandoning her. And that's my encouragement to you that God does the same. And he does the same with Zechariah. In Zechariah's story, even though there is a consequence for his unbelief, we see God does not give up on him. And Zechariah sees this when God's promise to him comes to be. And Zechariah, his reaction is that he experiences awe and wonder. And that is another key thing about having joy and hope. It's having that experience of wonder. And often we lose, we often lose this aspect in our lives that as we get older, logic, practicality, reason starts to push away awe and wonder. We more, we're a childlike uh, lens of the world tends to be clouded by adult logic and rationality. But I'm telling you that Christian faith is all about awe and wonder. And it's something that we have to try to embrace in our lives, to continually um, bring ourselves to look at things, find things that will give us awe and wonder. I I recently uh, came back from a trip to Japan. And some of the things that give me awe, that sense of awe and wonder are things I see in nature. It's, it's amazing the creation of God 
and, and how things will give you that, that sense of, of wonder. And, and in Japan, uh, there's a, a mountain, a famous mountain called Mount Fuji, and it's known as the Shai Mountain. It's a mountain that, that is very difficult to see because it's often at a certain altitude that the clouds or the fog will cover up that, that, that view of that mountain. And so when you go, you never know if you're going to be able to see that mountain peak. And even on that day where we were in that area, we drove in at night and we didn't see Mount Fuji, obviously in the darkness, but there was actually clouds covering it. And, um, and again, I'm not really a morning person, and so uh, my wife is. And she uh, got up at like 6 in the morning and, and waited to see if the clouds were clear. And, 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 and fortunately, it did. The clouds did, did clear, and then I'm still in bed in, under the covers, and then I get this text message, and she says, Calvin, you got to get up. You got to go because the, the clouds just cleared, and you can go go see Mount Fuji. And so it was like 6 in the morning. I dragged myself up, and then there's an observatory at the hotel where you say, and then we see this view. And, and it's, the picture doesn't do justice, but it's breathtaking to see, see Mount Fuji. But that's the kind of thing that, 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 that brings that kind of awe to me. It's, it's the same when you go to Yosemite where we love to go camping and you look up and you see Half Dome just above the trees, the tree line, and your campground. Or you go to, to Monterey or to the beaches and you just watch the waves crash onto the shore. Those are the things that cause me to, to experience awe and wonder. And so my encouragement to you, if you're lacking hope, if you're lacking joy in your life, do things, go and see things, whatever it is that brings that kind of awe and wonder. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's, it's a, a particular uh, art museum piece. Or maybe it's the play uh, or a movie. Or even if it's just going and playing with your grandchildren. Those things will bring awe and wonder back into your life. To wonder is to marvel, to be amazed. And this is an important aspect for hope to happen. To keep hope alive, don't stop wondering because we have a God of wonders. And we see this in Luke 1, verse 59 to 64. We see this. In verse 57, it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of, her relatives, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. In Zechariah, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And the verses says there, and they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Here, God gave Zechariah the opportunity to 
to redeem himself. And the moment that Zechariah realized the miracle that had happened and, and, and obliged and obeyed God's command to call his son John, his voice came back. And there at that moment, all the people were amazed and in wonder. From this passage about Zechariah, there are three elements of faith that are demonstrated here. The three elements are prayer, so don't stop praying. It's believing in God, so don't stop believing in God. And then the third one is don't stop wondering. Awe and wonder. These three factors are demonstrations of what it means to have faith. Everlasting faith produces everlasting hope. As I said, they're connected. In other, other words, if you don't like everlasting, you could substitute it with enduring or persevering. Faith is believing in something today, here and now, in the presence, which leads to a hope for something in the future. Faith is now, hope is in the future. Uh, I've been doing, I, I have the privilege and honor of doing a lot of memorial services. And uh, uh, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, a gift I, I offer to those who are grieving and suffering uh, from the loss of a loved one. And, and, and for Christians, we have a faith that allows us to have a hope. And, and I say this often at memorial services that the Bible tells us that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. So it's kind of the opposite ends of the scale in, in emotions, rejoicing and mourning. But it's often unique in the Christian faith that we can say that we can do both at the same time. And that at memorial services, I share this, is that as Christians, we can rejoice and also mourn. For sure, we are grieving for someone who we've lost. But we can also then rejoice that if they are a, a, in the family of God, if they follow Jesus, they have a hope of eternal life. And we rejoice in that. So it seems like a paradox to those who do not understand that. But we have this faith in the now for this hope in the future. Faith is the confidence that we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. That's Hebrews 11 verse 1. So may this hope in Jesus give you more joy this, this Advent season. And at the end of that, that Christmas program that I really like, a Charlie Brown's Christmas, this guy right here, at the end of that, that show, Charlie Brown's friend Linus tells him what the true meaning of Christ Christmas is. And it's from Luke 2, verse, verses 10 to 11. And the angels said to them, them being the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is the true meaning of Christmas. And Jesus comes into the world to bring more joy and peace. And may that be so for all of you here this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you in the season of Advent for the gift of your son, Jesus. And may we, who are in your family, continue to prepare our hearts for his coming. For it is he, in spite of the things that happen in our lives, the circumstances of real life, that you bring that kind of joy and peace through your son. So for those who may not know Jesus this morning, I um, give the invitation to them that they may, maybe for the first time, hear your offer, an invitation to come and see and to enjoy the favor of God through your son Jesus and know that through that kind of faith, that kind of belief, that they can have a hope that is eternal. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we have an opportunity to celebrate communion. It is a time where we do get to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, where he took on our sins so that we can be, through his blood, reconciled into the family of God. So today is communion. Here at Christian Layman Church, we practice what is known as open communion, so you do not have to be a member of our church. The only thing that we require is that you've made that decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And if you've done that, you're welcome to come and partake of the elements of the Lord's table. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he was having an intimate meal with his disciples, his 12 disciples. And in that room... During the meal, he took bread, and he, he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, eat of it in remembrance of me. And then later during the meal, he took the cup of wine, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. And this is what we do here and to be obedient to that command that Jesus has given to us is to continue to remember him until he comes back. And we do this through communion or the Lord's Supper. When you feel, feel led, you may come and, and uh, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the, in the juice, and eat of it at your timing. So may you be blessed when you come forward. And let me pray for us all as we prepare for this time. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing upon those individuals coming forward that they may partake at your table. I pray that you will give them an experience of you through this intimate act that, that shows that you, you love them and you believe in them, that you don't ever abandon them. And so may they experience peace and joy as they come forward. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're welcome to come down the center aisle at, at your leisure.